In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we will continue our study in the book of Psalms, and we will read Psalm 84, which is 83 in the Agbiya. Psalm 84, which if you guys get a, and you remember it, it begins by saying, How lovely is your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. How lovely is your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. The psalm actually was written by the children of Korah. And if you want to see their stories, you will see it in the book of Numbers, chapter 16. But let me tell you what happened. Basically, a group of a family, a certain family, came to Moses and told him, it's not fair that you and Aaron, even though Moses was not a priest, but it's not fair that Aaron, your brother, and his family are the only ones who are priests. And they are the ones who are offering incense to God. So we also want to be priests. So Moses told them, what you're asking is something that I didn't set in place. This is what God asked me to do. So they insisted, and they wanted to rebel against him. So Moses said, okay, very simple. Come, bring you and all the people that want to be priests, and bring censors with you. Okay? And also, Aaron is going to come and his followers. And as they were praying, as the son of Korah were praying and offering incense, basically the, gra the ground swallowed them, and they all died. Now, what happened is their grandchildren, it seemed like some of his family were still good people, his grandchildren now started to serve in the altar, in the temple of God. And I'm going to tell you what they used to do. Why, why what I just told you is significant? If you guys remember what our Lord Jesus Christ said to, told the Pharisees, he told them that you are the children of your fathers who killed the prophets. And we hear this all the time, but I was thinking about this. I said, all of us, we learn from our parents. And all of us, we learn from role models in life. And we mimic what we see. But Jesus looked at the Pharisees and told them, you have been mimicking the wrong people. You have been doing the wrong things. Well, these are my parents. These are our fathers. I said, yes, you have been mimicking the wrong people. And that should get make us stop. Because there are so many things that we might have inherited in our life and even in our culture that could be sinful. That's why, you guys, if you remember when we talked in the book of Joel, we said the repentance was collective. All the congregation came together to repent. So even though the children of Korah, his parents, were rebellious against Moses, against God, God still found some of them who were good. And they actually became some of the people that serve in the temple of God. You know what was their job? Their job was gatekeepers. You know, when uh, maybe, especially, and maybe we don't have them here, but we have them a lot in Egypt where we call them the doorman, the person who's responsible for the door. Okay? He opens the door, he might get a, do some services on the side, he also might clean if he, he needs to be. So they became the gatekeepers. 
And it's important for us to keep this in mind. Why? The gatekeeper goes to the temple every day. The gatekeeper goes to the temple every day. We are all gatekeepers. A lot of you guys are servants. A lot of you guys come to church regularly. We come to church regularly and, and, and frequently. Those sons of Korah who overcame their heritage and the, the wrong teaching they had in their life, they, they wrote one of the most beautiful psalms about how one can desire the house of God. When I was reading the psalm, I was wondering, how can somebody be like them? They go to church every day, and every day they have great desire for God. The other thing that's extremely important is that we're talking about people who are gatekeepers, that we might find them insignificant, yet the Holy Spirit inspired them to write about four psalms out of the 150 psalms. In our culture, we're very used to dream big, think big. But God looked at people who are, might seem insignificant. He gave them a job as a gatekeeper. And he told them, in this job, the Holy Spirit will work inside of you and will inspire you. And I, I think sometime we need to open our eyes. Stop thinking about the future for a little bit. And look at now, at the present where you are. Where God has given you his presence. The thought that I'm going to be healthy tomorrow, I'm going to be happy tomorrow, is not the thought that God wants you to have. He wants you to feel that you're happy now. The Holy Spirit can work inside of you now. The, those people did not hold any hatred toward the temple because of what happened to their grandparents. Imagine they, they're standing at the, at the gate and everybody knows those are the children of the rebellious people. That did not prevent them from coming to church. That did not make them dislike the temple. There were some of the people who used to come every day to the temple. I'll tell you guys just something I also want to keep in mind. This psalm could also be inspired by how they saw the pilgrims as they come to Jerusalem. So you guys knew there's a lot of Jew so Jew Jewish people, they only can worship in, in the temple at that time. So there were some people who lived in Alexandria, some people lived all over the world, and they have to come to the temple about three times a year. So it's also very possible that when they saw the desire of the people coming to the temple, it inspired them. And so I can remember that when the church was closed in the COVID period, and all of a sudden we started opening the church. We started hearing things that we never heard. One of, uh, I'll share with you one story. When one lady received the invitation to come to liturgy, she said, I feel like tomorrow is my wedding. I feel tomorrow is my wedding because she has not attended liturgy for a long time because the church was closed. The church was closed. 
How is it that we can, as people that come to church regularly, how can I still have that desire for the house of the Lord? How can I see it new? This is what we're going to see in this psalm. Okay? If you want to split the psalm, you can split it into two ways. The first way is very simple. You can think of it that the first five verses is almost somebody's greeting the temple. You know, you're talking about the temple. You're excited about the temple. And the last 12, uh, seven verses is basically response to the greeting. Like when you're greeting the temple, now the temple is saying, blessed is the man who dwells in the house of the Lord. So it's basically a response to your greeting. But I want you guys, I want to give you a little bit more specific st structure. So if you want to write it down in your notes. So the, the, the psalm is very short. It's about 12 verses. From verse 1 to verse 4, we call them longing for the courts of the Lord Almighty. So the, 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 sons, of the, the, the sons of Korah, the gatekeepers, are longing for the courts of the Lord Almighty. From verse 5 to verse 7 is a response to the longing. Okay, they're going to be a response. What, what, all the desire that they have, they will receive a response to it. From verse 8 to verse 9, it seems a bit off topic, but we'll explain it. It's prayer for God's blessing on the king. And we'll say why is this relevant. From verse 10 to verse 11, praising. And verse 12, blessing of God. And when we say blessing of God, it means we're telling God, from you comes blessing. I'm not offering, I'm not blessing God, but I'm telling God, God, from you comes blessing. So I leave, I feel I am blessed. Okay? But let's start with verse 1. Verse 1 says, How lovely is your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. You notice here the word tabernacles is plural. Because even though there is one temple, but the temple has different structure and different areas. In some areas, only certain people are allowed to enter. So here, this, the, the son of Korah, they're actually desiring every part of the temple. Every part in the house of the Lord is important. And that helps us to understand that when I enter the church, everything I do in the church is important. Because this is the house of the Lord. If I don't prepare myself from the, from the entrance until here, it will put me outside the mood of prayer. It will take me outside the presence of God. It will take me outside the, the presence of God. So here we are saying, How lovely is your tabernacle, Lord of hosts. I tell you guys, a, a while ago, I used to work for a, for a Jewish company, so I went to visit Israel. And as I visited Israel, I visited the Church of Resurrection. And inside the Church of Resurrection, there is the tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you see people from different nations, different colors, different nationalities, standing in lines. It's like hours just to get in and spend third, like 10 seconds inside, inside, the, inside the tomb. And I entered in, and I saw about four people with me at the same time. Once they entered, almost every single person was with tears. Tears flowing from their eyes. And as I was getting out, the lady that was before me, she said, no matter how many times I come here, I always cry. Something special inside. How lovely. He's not 
praising the architecture of the building, even though the, the disciples spoke to our Lord Jesus Christ about how beautiful the architecture of the temple and how amazing it is. But here he's talking about the bond and the relationship that I experience when I'm there. This is not a mere childhood memory. This is a bond and a relationship that I experience. It's a real presence of God. If you look at it in Psalm 42, there's a beautiful verse, 42 verse 4. It says, when I remember these things, when I remember entering the church, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitudes. He's explaining entering the temple. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a pilgrim's feast. What is, what is David saying here? He's saying that when I enter the temple, I remember when I used to pour out my soul. I remembered when I was vulnerable and opened up my heart and I spoke to God and I received peace and I received joy when I came so burdened and I left so lighted. This is what is saying. saying there's a, I remember these days when there was a lot of change that's happening with me. And this is also a reflection of the heaven, the heavenly kingdom. When we enter heaven, how lovely are your dwelling place. When I enter with the multitude of my families, the, all the saints and all the holy people of God, all the saints and all the pe people of God. So the temple is a place for God's presence. So he's, he's not longing simply for a building, but he's longing to be in the presence of God. And that's why in the church, when we come, we enjoy the Eucharist. And the Eucharist is not only the presence of God in the church. It's his presence inside of us. There's another aspect of this verse I, I want you guys to think about. Look at this verse. He's saying, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. The Jews were obligated to go to the temple three times a year. How beautiful it is that their obligation turned into joy. I am joyful that I'm praying my Agbeya. I am joyful that I'm reading my Bible. The obligation turned into joy. Turned into joy. So it's important for us to understand that in that the, the idea of the temple, the idea of the church was actually given to us by God. Even though the temple itself was the idea of David the prophet when he told God, how can I live in a nice house and you live in a tent? But the existence of the tent before the temple was from God. And it was in the book of Acts 25.8. Let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. When you come to church, you are in the presence of God. God is everywhere, but there are certain places where the presence of God is much more manifest and much more felt and much more willing to talk and to give because he dedicated this place for you and me to meet him. It means that I am preparing myself to meet him. I can turn on TV, 
and see the president speaking. It means nothing. He's present in my bedroom. I could watch him speaking. It's different than when the president himself comes and visits my house. So God wants us to meet him in the church. Wants us to come and see him. Now, from verse 2 to verse 4, it's basically when Kida, a layman who enters the, the, the uh, who may enter the, only the courts of the temple, tells Kida his longing for the holy places. Just somebody who's entering Kida from outside, and he says how much he longs the holy places. In verse 2, he says, My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh, cry out for the living God. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the course of the Lord. My hearts and my flesh cry out for the living God. You guys know the soul, usually we explain it as the mind, the emotion, and the thoughts. Means all the mind, all the thoughts, all the emotions are longing for God. And here he says the flesh is fainting. I'm, yani, I'm reading a nice book about one of the nuns who used to see our Lord on a regular basis. And she, at some moments, when she desires God, she tells God, God, the pain is so huge when I don't feel your presence. Every part of me is crying out for you. It's not only a spiritual, but even physical. Even physical. He physically longing for the presence of God. And that's why the spiritual life, there's always a physical element to it. There's fasting, there's prostration, there's reading the scripture, there's silence, there's meditation. All our desires and longing increase when we put effort. If I am not putting effort in my relationship with God, my desire is not going to grow. My desire is not going to grow. Every part is asking for God. Every part of me, every physical, every spiritual, every feeling, the way the way I the way I want the way I carry myself in the church. Every movement means something to me. I remember when I got ordained a priest, somebody told me the curtain represents the garment of Christ and the footstep of the altar represents his feet and the altar inside represents his hand. Every time you touch them, I am touching God. Every part of me faints. Every part of me faints. I remember when I was reading this verse, you guys sometimes you see these videos online when you have like uh, somebody, a soldier who came from, uh, from overseas and all of a sudden he shows up to his daughter's school or you know, his wife's work. And then you already know, you know, you already know what's gonna happen. Just his presence turns this child's routine day into a moment of amazement. All of a sudden, this child, when he sees his dad or her dad, she's completely transformed. 
She's joyful, she's crying, she's hugging, she's, she's sometimes they're hitting each other. It's, all the feelings are there. There is the presence of God. Verse 3, it says, Even the sparrow has found a home, the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her, her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. What is that verse saying? The sparrows, these were kind of birds, that they resemble something that's worthless. And you guys remember this in the, in the Gospel of Luke. It says, the sparrow is, two sparrows are sold for a coin. And five are sold for two coins. They give you one extra. And coin is almost like a penny. It's the least worthless coin they have. So it's saying the sparrows, even the most worthless they found a home in your house. It's don't, this, is, this verse is not to be taken literally. He's, he's using the allegorical methods. It's, it's not like when you go to the Temple of Jerusalem, there's all these birds nesting. No, it's, it's not true. Yeah, it's just physically, it's not true. But he's saying here is that the worthless get inside your door and they feel appreciated. The gatekeeper who feels they are not doing, they're not meaningful. Or the pilgrims who come from overseas who feel they're so strangers, they come inside your house and they feel they are, they are valued. They feel they have home. They feel they have home. A lot of times in our service, we don't feel how important we are and how important the role that God has given us is. And that's a problem. That is a problem. When God gives me something and un I undermine it. And now he says the swallows. The swallows are a symbol of restlessness, restlessness. Birds that cannot find rest easy. It's basically a bird that flies all over, it does not rest at all. And all of a sudden when the mating season comes, they come and they have to rest completely until they, they give rise to the young birds and, and, and allow them to settle for some time. And they live for a little bit in a peaceful time. So it's saying even those people who are always restless and always busy and live in the world and they have no place to rest, once they come to God, they find rest in Him. If you feel worthless, if you feel you're tired, you can only find rest in the house of God. You can only feel appreciated in the house of God. It's enough that I know that He knows me. Here, Kedah, you will see that He's describing how the lowly birds in such a glorious place overwhelms Him. And he, it makes him, it makes the psalmist, leads him to express his awe in the form of blessing. They found security inside you, even your altars, O Lord. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Your altars are the reason for their blessings. Your altars are the reasons for blessing. And then verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you, Salah. 
And you guys remember when we said the word salah means the music goes up, peoples bow down, and the congregation responds forever. So here, it's a time for meditation. When you see a salah, it means a time for meditation. He's saying, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. So it's basically saying, the worthless and the restless find rest in your courts. How about those who serve you? How about those who enter your court? How about the servants of the church? He said, if even the person who comes from the street comes here and find rest, how about those who are, or the deacons? How about the servants? How about the Sunday school teacher? He's saying, wow, they are in such a glorious state. They're in such a glorious state. I remember you know, a while ago, when I was young in high school, one time, you know how the high schoolers sometimes they, they say, you know what, getting dressed as a deacon is, is, is nothing for us. You know, they're too old. They feel like they're too old for, for dressing as a deacon. So one Friday, I, I decided not to dress as a deacon, and I came late. And I remember standing and seeing how people, how all my friends, the deacons, and how everybody's standing, and it was almost as the whole place full of light. And I regretted that I was not part of this. I regretted that I was not part of this. It's important for us to understand these things because a lot of time in our spiritual life, we don't know or we don't understand how to praise God. Because we have not learned to see what we have now. What God has given us today. He says, do not fear, O little children, for your father have desired to give you the kingdom. And here we see, here, it, here he's also giving a blessing to those who desire to worship God. Any person who wants to worship God, whether they are in the temple or far away from the temple, they are blessed. And it's very hard to explain what's the word blessed mean. Could have many meanings. But one of, one of the main meanings is that they are in the hands of God who wants to give them something. And he said, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They still praising you. From verse, from verse 5 to verse 7, it's almost the response to the longing. Somebody is, is longing for God so much, and now... What is that desire will do to that soul? What does the soul is going to receive? Verse 5 says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. He's saying that when he says, Blessed is the man whose strength in you, it means blessed is the man whose confidence is in the Lord. They trust in God, even if they live very far. So as a, if you think about it this way, as a Jewish person who's, lead, who's reading this psalm, they might not be able to enter the temple. It's not available to them. So he's telling them, all of you who are far away, who desire, the, desire to enter the church, there is a special blessings that you will receive. If you desire to see God, there is a special blessing that you will receive. And please believe what I'm telling you. When we are saying that God will give us blessings, these are not just words. 
These are a, a reality that we live. Reality that we live. People who desire to come to church, people who desire to spend time with God, and they can't, God will go to them. The second, the second part here of the description of the godly is a pilgrim to Jerusalem. He's saying that blessed are those who are, have their higher confidence in God and whose heart is set to pilgrimage. So those who want to come to church, those who want to spend time with God, they are blessed. They are, they were received from God. For us, what does that mean? If you guys open Isaiah 50, uh, 35, 8, the pilgrimage for us is pilgrimage to holiness. It's not pilgrimage to just a building. It's a pilgrimage to holiness. Look in, in Isaiah 35, 8 says, a, a highway shall be there, a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. We are walking in the path of holiness. We are walking in the path of holiness. That's why it's extremely important if somebody is longing for God so much, the first thing they do when they enter the church is to, to talk to God. It's no-brainer. If I keep pushing this, it becomes a problem. He says, this is the blessing to those who have a desire. He says, as they pass through the valley of Becca, they, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. So what is he saying? What is the valley of Pekka? The valley of Pekka is a valley of weeping. And some people say this is the actual valley when it's called the valley of Achor in Joshua 7 when Achan, the son of Carmi, he stole from the money that God said do not steal from and they took all the money and all their position, everything and put them in this valley and that was their end. So he's saying, as they pass through the valley of Becca, those who have their hearts trusting God and they desire to come to God, he says they walk in the life, which is the valley of Becca, which is the valley of weeping, the valley of stealing, the valley of cheating, the valley that's under the, the, the rule of the, the devil, because the Lord said the world is under the lure of the devil, and they will make it spring. As they walk in life, they will make a valley have life. A valley of weeping because of who they are, they will turn it into joy. And the rain also covers the pools with pools. Obviously the rain, as you guys always know, represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will flood them. So if, if I'm longing for God, if my whole body is fainting for Him, if I want to be with Him, God promises that I will bless you. That's number one. Number two, as you walk through the valley, you will make it spring. As you walk through life, every person will meet you, will see God in you. And number three, that I will give you the Holy Spirit. That's what our Lord is promising. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before the God of Zion. This beautiful verse. I, yeah. He's saying, if you guys remember in, in, the, in the letters of St. Paul, he says, we go from glory to glory. As if they are in the presence of God and, and they are growing in the glory as they get closer to God. He says they go from strength to strength just because they desire God. 
one of the, the nun I was telling you about earlier, she said, holiness is easy. All what it requires is a little bit of goodwill. That's it. You want to live a holy life? Put your will with all what you got. Okay? Uh, St. Jerome said something beautiful. He says, if a person of courage gives evidence of strength there, which means on earth, there he becomes stronger in heaven. They go from strength to strength. Hence, unless we are strong here on earth, we cannot have greater strength there. The psalmist did not say they shall go from weakness to strength, but from strength to strength. We're not going from weakness to strength, but we're going from strength to strength. If you are strong here on earth, you'll be strong in heaven. You'll be strong in heaven. One of, yeah, one, somebody said something beautiful. They said, in heaven, there is a special heaven inside the heaven that's almost inside the heart of God. That is for those who are so close to him. There is something that happens. We grow from strength to strength. From strength to strength. You guys all read the book of, most of you read the book of Abu Nalu'a. Sadarus when he was in prison during the time of Sadat in Egypt. And they spoke about how in the prison, in the time of difficulties, they were getting closer to God every day. They used to offer 400 prostrations every day. The prison was shaking. People are saying, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. 400 times. They go from strength to strength. Even when people try to put them down, there's an inner strength that nobody can take. Now, verse 8 and 9, they seem a bit off topic, but I, I want to tell you why they, they are important. Oh, God... O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. A lot of times when people have that desire for God so much and they want him, and God reveals to them, this is, these are all the blessings that you will receive. What's your, what's your impression? You will say, first thing that's going to come to your mind, well, I don't feel I have that strength. I don't feel I fit, I fit the requirement. I don't feel I have the feelings. I don't feel I have the will. It says here, O God, Lord of hosts, hear, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Salah. He wants you to meditate. He wants you to be silent at this moment. Because this is a time where people offer prayer. God, I want to faint for you. I want to love you. I want to physically want nothing but you. And here he mentions Jacob because Jacob is special. If you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, Jacob was the one who lived all his life, almost all his life, away from home. He ran away from his brother. He went and lived over his uncle's house. Then he worked seven years for his first wife, then another seven years. Then he came back. Then he, didn't go. Then he started moving around. Then they asked him to come to Egypt. Initially, he refused. Then he ended up going. It's a whole thing. He's a man of pilgrimage. So he says, hear my prayer, give ear, O God of Jacob. I don't feel I fit the requirement. I live far. I don't see the church as a pilgrimage. And we're talking in the Jewish context. But he's telling him, hear me, even though if I'm far. 
Same thing, we can say the same thing. God, I don't feel I fit the I don't feel I, I have the, the right. I don't, I see, I'm a very arrogant person. I don't feel, I don't, feel, I don't have the humility. I don't have the desire. Hear me, O God of Jacob. You are the God of those who had the same problem I had, and you brought them back to you when a person has a good will. O God, behold our shields and look upon the face of your anointed. Anytime I am truly praying in the presence of God and I feel his presence, most of the time I will find myself praying for other people. Because in the presence of God, it is very difficult to be selfish. It is very difficult to be selfish. And a lot of times in our prayer, we're so focused on ourselves. Here, in the midst of this whole psalm, he found himself praying for the king, the anointed. First of all, the king obviously is a representative of God in the Jewish term. And we pray for them, we pray for the kings in the liturgy. But here, it's important for us to know that when I am getting closer to God, I am praying for all those who are serving. I am praying for those who are working for God. Because they are under the biggest warfare. A lot of times in the liturgy when we pray for the Pope, we pray for him multiple times. You might feel, how come? Is it, why, why do we take care of the Pope? Is it because he's the leader of the church? Like, you know, we were forced to do this out of, like, just, you know, politics? No. Because he's the one that he will be fought the most. The Bible says, if you disperse the shepherd, if you, if you defeat the shepherd, the sheep will be dispersed. So when I'm standing in front of God, I want His mercy and His love to be pursued upon everybody. So I'm going to start praying for those who are in need. It's actually beautiful. I was talking to um, a nun that I know, and she told me every prayer in their in monastic life, monastic rule, they dedicate a lot of prayer for priest and bishop. Because she said they are always facing a lot of, a lot of problems. So this is the spirit. When I'm in the prayer, I'm praying for all those who are serving God. And obviously the king is the anointed and he's also a shield for his people. So he's basically saying, the heavenly king, please grant the earthly king to become shield for his people, to extend your goodness upon him. In verse 10 and verse 11, it's praising. And after he, after he, after he, He's, he's longing for God and he saw the blessings of God now he's in the presence of God and you know it because he's praying for other people he's praying for the king he already humbled himself and said I need help like, to, be like, to be like Jacob now he has received from God so the natural response is to praise God he says for a day in your courts a day in your church is better than a thousand I would rather to be a doorkeeper Remember, we said they were eh, doorkeepers. In the house of my God, than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I would rather to clean the bathrooms of the church than to be in Atlantic City gambling and in a five-star hotel. I would rather to be at the foot door, footsteps of the house of the Lord than being in the tent of the wickedness. Our, 
our the value of our day is not counted by how many the how many years we live it's counted by the value of the time how is it spent our our memorable days in our life unfortunately a lot of time they are with people not with god if i tell you what are the days that you cannot forget in your life oh the day of my wedding the day when i graduated the day when i got you know i don't know my first car some people will say my the first time is when i truly felt the presence of god when i truly learned how to repent for the first time when i stood in front of god and he revealed my sins so i could repent when i saw his presence in front of me these days i cannot forget they are irreplaceable memories i told you before the story of a woman an elderly woman that she was in coma and as i was visiting her giving her communion and i was saying the prayer you guys know in the Catholic Church, whenever we say, Lord, have mercy, can I soon make the sign of the cross? She was unconscious. And as I was saying, Lord, have mercy, she started making the sign of the cross. Some things you cannot erase if they are meaningful. If they are meaningful. Even if I am the doorkey, the gatekeeper of the house of the Lord, it's important to us to feel this I am in his house, I am his servant. What more can I want? What more can I need? And that's extremely important. Life away from God is full of anxiety, worries, sins, and anger. We cannot get any of this stuff unless we are in his house. Verse 11, which is continuing the praise, he says, For the Lord's God is Son, the Lord is Son and Shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will, we, will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. When he's talking about the Lord is a sun and a shield, he's right away remembering the promise of restoration. God give promise to Israel that he will restore them. And you will see this in Isaiah 60, 19. It says, the sun shall no longer be your light by day. Nor brightness shall be the moon give, nor, nor the brightness shall, be, shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God, your glory. So no longer I am following the light of the world. The world will tell you to be happy, to be successful. You need to have a successful career. You have to have a successful car. You need to have a successful house. You need to have a beautiful, a handsome husband, a beautiful wife. The world will give you certain images of what it means to be successful. God is saying no more. I will be your son. I will give you the light that you should follow. A lot of times when I look at the, at the praises that the, the, the psalmist give to God, it reminds me kida, of some of my friends when, like, you know, in the first early stages kida, before they mess and they want to they wanna approach a girl to marry her or to get engaged. You know, they'll come to me and be like, Oh, I met this girl and she's so beautiful and she's so gentle and she's so kind and you know even though she's very successful but yet humble she's this but this she's and they cannot stop talking about her right dude I got it you know I understand what I'm trying to say you know he keeps saying and then and he's so excited and he's so happy and he wants to send message her and 
That's exactly how the praising God feels. Have you seen how he looks at me? Have you seen how much he loves me? He's so knowledgeable, yet he's so sensitive to me. He loves me so much, but he's not invasive. He's so humble, yet he's so powerful. His looks is enough. His presence is more than what I need. When I am praising God, it's not something that we hopefully put effort in, but it's what I saw. It's what I experienced. It's what I enjoy. I remember kid, I was talking to a, a, a holy person. I asked him a question. I told him, this is a confession for you guys. I told him, why is it sometimes we enjoy spiritual reading more than prayers? The person looked at me and she told me, I don't understand. She told me, speaking to God is so beautiful. What do you mean you enjoy reading more than praying to God? The question did not make any sense to her. The question did not make any sense to her. Because she's tasting and experienced something that I have not experienced. That's why we see that here he says uh, that when you walk with God, you'll be in the grace of God. You will see him. And you see this in Exodus 33, 19. He says, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion on. God is showing us the path that he may have compassion on us. And it's important for us to understand that everything we receive from God. We receive it and we don't deserve it. There is nothing that I earned contrary to the culture that taught us. I'll tell you guys something. Sometimes we walk around and see, and see people, for example, uh, you know, mentally challenged, or some people who have physical problems. You know, somebody's blind, mute. All these is not, a, is not a point of comparison between us and people, but it's a point to remind us of the grace of God that each separate person received. A blind man might have received a different grace than what I've received. I received the eyesight, but he might have received something else. But as I walk in life, I see, wow, I have, God has given me so much. And there is no grace that will remain in my life if I'm not thankful for it. And if I'm not praising God for it. And that's why every, almost every single psalm, as we go through them, except a yani, couple, they end with praise. The last verse here, he says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. If a person can put his confidence in God, he makes his, command, his, his actions based on God. You know, the greatest sin that humanity fell into was the sin of disobedience. They disobeyed the commandments of God. If I say, you know what, I will no longer put my trust on people. I will trust in the promises and the commandments of God. Try them. See them. Taste them. They are absolutely true. We recently have witnessed this in our church where somebody lost uh, her dear husband and because they were praying so much, 
the peace of God surrounded her. How can somebody have so much peace with such a great loss? It's, it's, it's worldly not possible. And that's what God said. Be anxious for nothing but in everything in prayer. And the peace of God will guard your mind and your heart. The gifts that we receive in God, we cannot receive them from external sources. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.